This is the 966 episode 78. Setting them up and knocking them down. I, you know, we talk about the number each time, but I think, you know, secretly, and, and it's only human nature. This is just so great to be able to, you know, uh, accumulate and, and 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 do these episodes. And, and the episodes are really good. It's like when we do our our Seuss review, our daily review, and we've talked about it before. It's it's cool to do one, but then when you see the body of work, you know, and obviously the Seuss review is is over 15, 16 years. But, uh, you know, but this body of work now, basically in our first year, just over a year, it's just so much fun to see who we've talked to and all the relationships we've established and all the conversations we had and all the information we've been able to hear, uh, all the perspectives we've been able to gain. It's just I, every I feel lucky every time we do one of these. I completely agree. It's like a little piece of rock or sand one at a time. And then over time, you get to see it get built out, which is very exciting. Of course, all things grow. Our followers and subscribers and viewers are growing each week, which is great. Thank you for all. Thank you, all of you, for being with us this week or some weeks and some weeks not. But just subscribing to us gets us into your sort of zone of information which is we really appreciate because we know there's a lot out there but richard yeah it's very exciting in that respect um and richard we've got a really good one this week just you and me for episode 78 you know i should also mention as well when we started saying this is the 966 episode x at first it was episode 12 episode 13 and we're like cool you know that's kind of something and then episode 78 here we are um we are really getting a lot of listeners and viewers saying Hey, you guys are still here. That's amazing. Good job. Keep it up. So, um, well, and also, cute. like we've talked about, the numbers we're getting on subscriptions across all platforms. And when we, when you know, when uh, you've been out in the region, when we talk with people in the region and and elsewhere, they go, oh, "Yeah, I know about that." And you know, uh, and I already, you know, I, I I can't tell you. And this is obviously a bit of a uh, an evolution, and you know, by nature, is sort of a fact. But now when I go to invite somebody or we're trying to book somebody and I say, oh, we do the 966 and uh, more times than not. And these are people sometimes I may not or may not have a relationship more times than not. They go, yeah, I know all about you guys, mm-hmm. which yeah. is, is really yeah. cool. And we're getting some guests that were on previously as well. They're like, hey, I'm ready to do my next uh, show <laughs> with you guys, which is always great to see. We always welcome back those that wear the 966 brand, which is burned yeah. on them forever. So um, they're part of the family. Yep, we've got some great guests coming up. Um, Richard, you and I have sort of a busy schedule this week, so we've kind of got a lot going on. So we'll have some really great guests coming up. We've got them lined up actually as well. So um, ready to go on that front. But Richard, this week, just you and me, the homeboys. Homeboys. Um, Let's get it going. What's your one big thing this week? My one big thing is sort of a a, a, a mashup in in a sense, and and it, it, it rests on a on a basic premise. And it's people may not agree with it, or or they may agree with it. But uh, you know, out of out of bad things, often good things come. You know, the Chinese, I believe, the Chinese. Uh, symbol for crisis is also, you know, seen as opportunity. And it's been interesting. And I've talked about this before on a one big thing, and we've talked about it in the 966, how the very tragic Russian invasion of Ukraine has uh, spurred a significant rethink of the U.S.-Saudi relationship. And, And I just wanted to, because we track conversation and dialogue and analysis and commentary on Saudi Arabia every day, we see when when there are patterns and trends, 
Uh, and, and I just wanted to point out three recent articles by people we know well, uh, analysts that we respect, analysts, two of whom have been on the show, the third who will be on the show shortly. Um, and I just wanted to share them with you, both as a recommendation, but also as a reflection on the conversation in Washington and the conversation in, in, the, in you know, policy circles about how the U.S. needs to adapt and change its relationship and its approach with Saudi Arabia. And these, interestingly enough, this is across three different sectors. So here, let me just share this with you. And then, you know, if you have an opportunity, please do read the articles are excellent. So the first one is by uh, Hussein Ibish, who's, who's been on the show twice. <clears throat> He's a star. I mean, I, I, you know, in terms, of, in terms of taking thoughts and ideas and concepts and integrating them and then communicating them, I, he does it as well as anybody. Uh, Hussein's a senior resident scholar at the Arab Gulf States Institute uh, in Washington, and he wrote an article, article in The National <clears throat> called How Ambitious is Biden's Middle East Policy? So I'm just going to quote from it. Uh, the quote, the Biden administration deserves credit for recognizing, particularly after the invasion of Ukraine, not only the centrality of this region to the U.S. global posture, but also the centrality of local partners in realizing such security and stability. The equation, the equation drawing the U.S. Close, close to its Gulf Arab and other Middle Eastern partners is no longer anything resembling, quote, oil for security, unquote. Instead, on both sides, it is increasingly viewed as a I'm going to emphasize this because it's mentioned in every one of these blurbs. It is instead increasingly viewed as a partnership necessary to achieve mutual goals, even if they are being pursued for different reasons. This is a money quote right here. That is a lot more like the U.S. relationship with its NATO partners and with Japan or South Korea, unquote. All right, again, really, really good analyst and you know Hussein talking about uh, the Biden approach and how they're trying to refashion, you know, just the general uh, relationship and and be more responsive and think of it more as a partnership. And I really like the comparison to NATO partners, Japan and South Korea. All right. Second one, Bilal Saab. We know Bilal. Bilal's going to come back on the show. He's been on the show. He's senior fellow and director of defense and security program of the Middle East Institute. He wrote a, a really uh, in-depth analysis, very lengthy. Go find it. It's on the Middle East Institute site. It's called After Oil for Security. Uh, and he's talking about the defense relationship, the security relationship. Hussein's talking about the policy relationship. Quote, the very concept that governs the U.S.-Saudi security relationship is flawed. It still centers on U.S. guardianship. It fails to embrace, leverage, and operationalize the element of security partnership with Saudi Arabia. Today, U.S. security cooperation, per the Defense Department's own definition, should seek to, to more effectively incentivize and enable regional partners to provide for their own security, unquote. Um, I, again, this is his, that's an in-depth analysis, many pages, but it's worth, worth looking at. And, Hussein, and, and Bilal is quite critical of a lot of things in the relationship, but he's talking about how to uh, move it forward and adapt it to better reflect Saudi's needs and to, and to move away from a guardianship to a partnership. All right. Third analyst, another person we think is very good. And as I said, hopefully he'll be on this show shortly. Uh, Mohammed Saliman, director of Middle East Institute Strategic Technology and Cyber Cybersecurity Program. He's also a manager over at McLarty Associates. Um, article written again from Middle East Institute uh, called It's Time for a Saudi-US Tech Dialogue. 
quote, the U.S. should understand that as part of Riyadh's bid to become a knowledge-based economic powerhouse and a global hub for tourism, ICT, finance, fintech, entertainment, and beyond, the Saudi leadership has also changed how they view the kingdom's place in geopolitics. In fact, the U.S. and Saudi Arabia have an abundance of shared objectives, mutual interests, and potential opportunities for cooperation in sectors like tech. However, these paths toward a reinvigorated, closer Saudi-U.S. relationship will be difficult to realize unless American leadership begins approaching Saudi Arabia as a true partner and not simply a conduit for American foreign policy objectives, unquote. So, again, sorry to quote, but I recommend all of these articles to our listeners. They're all good, and you can see the common theme, in, and it's something we've talked about a lot on the 966 from the get-go something you and I have talked about for years. Uh, but, you know, you can see trends, like I said, you can see trends, patterns, uh, themes. And increasingly, I, I think there's a sense that, you know, the U.S. has to readjust its, its approach to Saudi. Uh, and as, um, as Bilal notes, you know, from a, a guardianship to a partnership. Yeah, I mean, I think you, Richard, ended it, really well there with that. I mean, it's the, the theme. I mean, that's like a, you t- just take a step back from those three articles, all of which, by the way, were in the Sustig News Review, the daily newsletter that we put out every weekday. And again, uh, on the weekend, you, if you want it once a week, you can get the weekend edition and it has the best of the best. Uh, some of them were casual readers like that as well. You can get both, which uh, we would recommend. But um, yeah, if you just take a step back and look at that theme, I mean, that theme is just hey, like there's a little bit of an attitude shift here going on and it's very different than it was from a month or two months ago or a year or two years ago. Saudi Arabia isn't just a client state. It isn't just a little cousin. Um, It can be an emerging partner for the United States in tech, military, defense, diplomacy, security. I mean, all of these areas, it's just sort of like starting to become obvious to people that, hey, like this is a, you know, a partnership that is being left neglected and if that's the case, then that's actually to the U.S., uh, our, to our detriment as Americans. So um, don't have a ton to add to that, but I think that's really good to sort of distill out together and, and put it together. It's all this week that these articles have come out, Richard. So really interesting. And, yeah. and that ties up. That, that tie, by the way, in terms of Sustrick Review, you don't have to get go digging to find these articles. Each of these articles were featured. And yep. we pull out a, a major feature and then three other ones. And then we have the rest of all the things that we cite, which is up to 35 posts in any particular edition of the Seussig Review. Uh, I just want to close with one thing, because <clears throat> I think people overlooked how much Saudi Arabia wants to be seen this way. You know, to be seen differently. And we I, in a previous one, I talked about being a middle power and that sort of thing. So I just want to share from an opinion piece from Tarek Al-Hamayed, who's a Saudi journalist and former editor-in-chief of Shark Al-Ausset. And he's talking about uh, Prince Faisal bin Farhan's visit to Ukraine and in Kiev, you know, that he just made this trip. And you talked about that 10-hour train ride and 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 that sort of thing that Biden made. And, and you know, but and, and so if you want to find it, it's a Shark Al-Ausset English edition. The, and the title of the article is The Saudi Foreign Minister in Kiev. And, and this is what he, he wrote which is, again, reflects the Saudi desire to be seen and approached differently. Uh, Prince Faisal bin Farhan visited the Ukrainian capital, Kiev, becoming the first Saudi foreign minister to do so in 30 years. Um, He took along like the same train that President Biden did. 
And basically, he was told that, uh, you know, this train has been boarded by President Joe Biden, the Polish and French presidents, German chancellor, the British, Spanish and Italian prime minister. Over 300 delegations have boarded, boarded this diplomatic Warsaw to Kiev train. And this is his words now, quote, and here is the story. The Saudi minister took the same train to Kiev that other global leaders have been taking throughout the year-long war. This means that Saudi Arabia arrived in Ukraine as other Western leaders did. It did not take an exception route, and this is significant. It means that Saudi Arabia is exercising its, its historical leadership role, and the kingdom plays an important role in safeguarding global stability, unquote. Point is, is they see themselves differently. And, you know, he wrote this article because I think he was very pleased that you know, the Saudi foreign minister was treated in the same way the U.S. president and the French president and and a whole boatload of prime ministers and chancellors and that sort of thing were treated. And he's saying what he's saying is this is fitting with how we see ourselves and our role in the world. Richard, we are almost exactly one year to the day of Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman's interview with the Atlantic, I think it was. Yeah, the Atlantic. Um, yeah. And at the time, you know, U.S.-Saudi relations were at a low point. I mean, President Biden hadn't visited over the summer, didn't hadn't worked that out with uh, the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. President Biden also didn't have his party in a position where they really outperformed in the midterms elections. A year can make a huge difference in the relationship, bilateral relationship between two countries. But if you think about what Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman said there in that interview and then sort of how where things are now, which is, yeah, I mean, the U.S.-Saudi relationship sort of reached a little bit of a low point, but it seems to be on the upswing. I mean, if you're just taking out a sort of broad stroke, those three pieces you mentioned and where things are between the U.S. and Saudi Arabia, you have calls for a U.S.-Saudi tech cooperation. You have a delegation right now in Saudi Arabia meeting with Saudi officials from the U.K. and the United States. Um, trying to figure out a way forward on U.S.-Saudi military cooperation. Bilal Saab uh, you know, wrote a piece on it, and he's working really hard on that. Um, but, but just going back to what Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman said, he said, quote, it is up to Biden to think about the interests of America, he added, suggesting that if the American president wanted to alienate the ruling monarchy, then he should, quote, go for it. The two allies have long enjoyed close ties, uh, but since becoming president, Biden sort of made it a priority to uh, I don't want to say alienate, but he didn't have the warm stance towards Saudi Arabia that predecessors did have. Um, and I just I think it's really interesting that he said, quote, we don't have the right to lecture you in America. The same goes the other way. It, he sort of was ahead on this saying, like, I know we're at very different points here, but, you know, I mean, we are emerging as a power. We're emerging as an economy and as a, a diplomatic player and as a military, you know, a, a country that can increasingly look after itself in terms of security. Um, and he essentially said, look, if it's in America's interest to shun us, then they should go for it. But it isn't. I mean, it is not. So just interesting. I mean, that was one year ago today. That seems like five years ago today. Um, and you know, it's just kind of amazing that this is where we are now. We've got a much warmer U.S.-Saudi relationship now. I think it's more realistic and more pragmatic. That was a good art. That was, I won't say that's a good article because I think Graham Wood, the author of that, cherry picked it. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was an interesting one and had some very important points. And years, it's a really good pull on that, Lucian, because that was a year ago. It seems like a, a, a long year ago because obviously, I mean, the, you know, Russia just invaded, but also we had all the fallout of the world trying to align themselves and manage this differently. Um, which again, I think has catalyzed a reassessment of the US Saudi relationship. And I believe in a good way. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, 
I, I completely agree. I mean, it shouldn't be just based on what it used to be because it's always been that way. No things are, nothing's like that in, in real life. So why would yeah. this be any, you know, any different? But you have a you different know, Saudi Arabia too. So, you know. Um, and that's, that's why I say, even though it's a tragic event, you know, the, the, the relationship was, was rolling along with a lot of unspoken resentments, mm -hmm. both sides, particularly yeah. on the Saudi side. And people were un displeased with the relationship as it was, both sides. And uh, Ukraine, uh, the Ukraine, uh, you know, the invasion uh, forced everyone to put their cards on the table, mm -hmm. and 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 you know now you can now you can play the game a little more in a little more informed manner, and and it's certainly the U.S. certainly has a good strong hand to play, and so uh, I think at the end of the day, and that's a term everyone uses, but I think that. Uh, you know, the, the, as I said, the tone and the theme we're hearing now in Washington is a lot healthier, a lot more proactive, a lot more constructive than whatever was being talked about in March 30 year ago when that when that interview was was published. Mm -hmm. Agreed. The Chinese symbol for crisis is also opportunity. I'm sure that maybe that will make that the pull quote uh, from this uh, episode. That's really good. Well, really good, sure, one, Richard. Make sure if it's right. I may have just you don't know. I could have just made that up. <laughs> well, we'll have to look that up. We'll have our fact checker do it um, <laughs> um, if he or she is uh, awake. Um, it's actually noodle my cat. Um, <laughs> um, and we, we're going to we're going to put a fork in that there, Richard, because we are going to talk about the uh, Ukraine and, and Saudi Arabia um, in Yella in just a moment. So Good. we'll get next to my one big thing, which is. Um, really three big things into one. You and I are just sort of mashing everything up. DJ Richard and DJ Lucian out here spinning <laughs> things together. Um, three things really on the Red Sea uh, development company now is called, of course, Red Sea Global. Uh, just on the Red Sea coast um, seems to be one of the giga projects that is um, at least as far as anyone can tell, completely ahead of schedule and totally outperforming expectations thus far. Um, you've got maybe the fourth or fifth hardest working man in Saudi Arabia, John Pagano, and he's got a couple guys ahead of him. They're going to be really hard to beat, um, but he's running the show over there and it's amazing. He's an amazing follow on Twitter if you're interested in Saudi Arabia at all, because he's everywhere all at once, seemingly. And by all accounts and from everything I can see, it's just he's it's just everything's going forward there. So I got three things really that came out of the Red Sea in the last week or two here. Um First, the uh, Red Sea announced, and, and this was Pagano announcing on Twitter, the, quote, first luxury resort brand revealed at Amala called Clinique La Prairie, which is a leading Swiss clinic and bills itself as the master of longevity resort, which has both medical and wellness programs. I'm very much in need of a stint at Clinique La Prairie, as you can tell with my face right now. Pagano announced that Clinique La Prairie's presence at Amala adds world-renowned facilities and health and wellness experiences set against Saudi Arabia's extraordinary natural landscapes, which will take visitors on transformative personal journeys. Ooh. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's pretty rad. I love that. Um, CLP's science of self-therapy and holistic wellness combines with luxury swiss hospitality so richard i don't think you're going to be able to get into this thing paying just a little bit of cat whatever cash you have on you i think this might be a little bit more of a higher end offering which fits into amala's vision um, we're gonna have some cool art of this for those of you who are watching on youtube or if you're listening check out our youtube because uh 
there's some cool renderings of what they're going to do here. Um, very, very interesting. So second is the Red Sea's announcement that it is proud to partner or proud to announce, excuse me, the Red Sea Global subsidiary businesses have launched Wama and Galaxia, which I'm definitely mispronouncing, will lead exclusive water sports and diving activities at the Red Sea in Amala and are sure to deliver unforgivable adventures for our guests. So it looks like Red Sea Global owns these businesses and they will be the official operators of some of these services to the guests. So this is somewhat of a standard procedure, but I mean, they're already launching the companies that will provide services to guests that are going to be staying there as soon as this year, which is I did not see coming. And that's actually amazing. Um, and then the third Richard is sort of the bigger one, but just everything's big now. Um, but the Red Sea Global <laughs> announced plans with four seasons, hotels and resorts to include a four seasons at the Red Sea master plan development, which is awesome. The new four seasons resort will be located on Shura Island, the hub of the development and also home to a yacht marina where we will keep our boat leisure and lifestyle facilities, retail offerings, and 18-hole golf course, which I hope to play as soon as it launches. Um, yes. The Red Sea destination is being built with sustainable practices, as is uh, the, the standard for all of Amala and the Red Sea, um, with the master plan being informed by an impressive marine spatial planning simulation to model the environmental impact of development and operations to minimize over tourism while providing guests with an exceptional travel and lifestyle experience yeah so richard i mean <laughs> there's just so much going on in saudi arabia these days that any one of these announcements uh, maybe i guess except for the subsidiary announcement but any one of these announcements would have been a massive deal just a few years ago and i feel like in the last two weeks these are just like oh yeah no there's going to be a four seasons on the red sea um and it's going to be insanely beautiful and it's going to rival the maldives etc there is so much going on in saudi arabia every direction in which you look um and i wanted to talk about this because this sounds really cool and I hope you get to stay there. So it sounds awesome. But, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, we got to find our way into some sort of influencer gig. Yeah. You sure. know, and we got to pay can... that tax or whatever, but we can, we can do that. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, we don't have to be registered in Saudi, but I mean, if we can grow this enough, maybe people who want us to come and experience these things for free. Um, those are the people that will also give us the free lucid that we've been seeking for That's a little while. That's what I'm saying. So, you know, yeah, we, we just a, need to keep need building agent, yeah. this <laughs> until we have enough influence that people will start flocking to us mm -hmm. to try and do nice things for us. Yep. Um, Agreed. So whatever we got to do <laughs> that, you know, I, I don't know what our plan was at the outset, but I think that should be our plan now. I mean, maybe we just get a studio at Clinique La Prairie and get facials while we do this. Um, <laughs> I, I don't I don't know much about Clinique La Prairie, but it seems like it's like I don't my first reaction was like, is this like a rehab kind of place? Or is this like a you know, like is this like you go there and you're just like phones off type thing or what you know? Spiritual rehab. Yeah. Um yeah. I don't know what it is, but I, I'm willing to try. I can I can cop to some sort of need or or addiction if it if this is the resulting rehab. Mm-hmm. And Agreed. uh by the way, on that, uh, 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 Killa Design is the group that is doing those overwater pods, which are going into place now. And if you go to killadesign.com, they have some great images of it. And you, and you might want to grab some for as you as you produce, you know, technical the the video of this. Um, but we also have to remember when you talk about 
the pace and the magnitude of these announcements, you know, what were we talking about last week? The announcement of Mubarak. You know, a, a huge whole new city essentially in Riyadh. I mean, it just keeps coming. And I agree going back, the Red Sea, the Red Sea project along with Daria Gate, uh, seem to be two projects that are just racing along and and really hitting their marks uh and coming along beautifully. Richard, I was trying to look when I was looking up some info on this mashup topic about the pods. I, I swear I saw that this week that they had completed their first pod. Yeah. Uh, or maybe it was last <clears> week that I saw it. I just couldn't find something quick enough, but um, those look cool. Those look really cool. Um, and and so. that's, they had a discussion of that uh, in an article we had in today's edition, um, you know, about the, the, the Maldives, you know, look out Maldives, you know, mm -hmm. they have the overwater bungalows and that sort of thing. So yeah, those are putting in and, and the, and you know, the people that were specifically designed for it. So uh, yeah, it seems to be coming along and, and maybe ready for us when, by the time we're at, you know, we're actually reached that level and threshold of that people consider us influencers and want us to want to pay for us to go places. Mm -hmm. I, I should note too, Richard, and you, you know this as well, but the airport that will service this whole area is designed by Foster and Partners is super dope. It looks awesome. Um, it won't be like a massive <laughs> airport, but it'll be sort of yeah. like a higher end, like kind of regional style of airport. Um, so it seems just like if you're if you're choosing this as your destination, there isn't going to be some uncomfortable, you know, multi-transfer um, hassle to get to where you're going. It seems like once you land in Red Sea from from landing to takeoff, it's going to be a, a seamless and smooth and, and pretty beautiful experience for those that have the coin to plop down on it. Um, yeah. Looks awesome. Yeah. It'll yeah. be like an airport spa on the way to the spa. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's really cool. So, um, yeah, Pagano, if he, Mr. Pagano, if you would like to join us on the 966, I know you have no time at all, but we would love to have you and hear about everything you're doing. And we'd, uh, we'd be amazing. happy to do the interview in the red at the, you know, at the, at the resort, if you yep. wish. Yep. I'm going to need some SPF 150 because <laughs> I'm, you can comes, see right comes, through me right now. Here comes the pasty 966. <laughs> 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 yep, it would be we'd be quite the eyesore out there on the beach, Richard. <laughs> we'd be, we'd be, we, everyone stand back. Things are going up in flames. Um, <laughs> Richard, let's get to Yella. What do you think? Yes, Yella. Saudi. Saudi in a minute. Yella. <laughs> <laughs> We've gotten rid of the like gut, like deep voiced Yola, and it's just an ASMR. Oh, that whisper. whisper is just such a nice touch. It's you so know? weird. Yeah, I'm sorry to all our guests. Uh, exactly. And our, and Truly. Our, our listeners, yeah. I think that's called the evolution of art is what that is. <laughs> um, number one, Saudi Arabia announces $400 million in, in $40 million in humanitarian aid to the Ukraine. According to Andrei Yermak, head of president, the president's office of Ukraine, after meeting uh, Prince Faisal bin Farhan al Saud, Saudi Minister of Foreign Affairs. Saudi Arabia will supply Ukraine with an aid package worth $400 million. Two documents were signed formalizing $100 million worth of humanitarian aid and $300 million worth of oil products. Good one, Richard. Uh, we talked a little bit about it in your one big thing. The US sort of tried to demonize is a hard word, but sort of tried to bully Saudi Arabia for its quote unquote support for Russia. 
Facts can be stubborn things, though. Saudi Arabia's support for oil markets does not necessarily mean support for the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And in fact, they've been pretty clear about that, the fact that they respect territorial sovereignty and they've been a little bit vague, but, you know, they voted for a number of U.N. resolutions. This is a complicated issue. I don't want to oversimplify it in, in my response to you here, but this is the highest ranking uh, Saudi to visit Ukraine in 30 years. The documents are called the Joint Program of Cooperation with the Humanitarian Aid and Help of King Salman Center uh, and the Memorandum on Mutual Understanding and the Saudi Development Fund signed that. So anyway, um, just this was cool. We talked about that a little bit in terms of the uh, well, we talked offline earlier this week about how cool it was uh, learning about Biden's visit and all the different ways that he took to get into Ukraine to remain under the, the radar. Um, but I mean, Richard, just uh, just making me think about your one big thing here. You know, the U.S. came out and there was a National Security Council spokeswoman came out as soon as this news came out and said, this is an important step. Quote, we welcome the visit today by Saudi Arabia's foreign minister and a senior Saudi delegation to Kiev as well as the agreements reached to provide more than, 40, uh, more than 400 million in energy and essential supplies. Called it an important step, though. I mean, that's significant. I mean, you kind of see the trend start to go up here a little bit. Well, yeah, and, and the one big thing talked about how the Ukraine invasion of Ukraine was a catalyst for Saudi relationships. And part of the problem, the reason we, you know, things had to be put on the table was because in that environment, you know, the U.S. and the EU and, and the NATO states, um, you know, said this is, you know, this is obviously this is a, a, a bald violation of the rules based international orders and it can't stand. And, and I, I support that. I think the U.S. has done the right thing. But the U.S. went out to its partners and said, you're either with us against us, essentially. And the Saudi says, no, we're not going to make that choice. And so we had a lot of fallout, a lot of negative uh, conversation, you know, a negative atmosphere, a fraud atmosphere. And, and I think what Saudi Arabia is showing here is that. <clears throat> We're not going to choose sides because we have significant economic interests with China for one, but also with Russia for two. Um, and so we're going to try and go our own path. And they've already given $100 million in aid to Saudi Arabia. So this is another four, I mean, to the Ukraine. So this is another $400 million. But on top of that, I think it's worthwhile to note that just last week, you know, the Saudi Arabia voted in favor of the UN General Assembly resolution that calls for Russia to end hostilities in Ukraine and calls for withdrawal of his forces. Last October, and vo you know, voted for a resolution, UN UN resolution uh, against the annexation of the four Ukrainian regions. And in March, it voted in support of the Assembly uh, UN Assembly resolution that supported international law, the UN Charter, and the sovereignty and territorial integrity of states, including Ukraine. So, so you know, from a U.S. perspective. There was initial disappointment saying, oh, come on, you you got to be with us on this and you have to, you know, cut off all ties with, with Russia and this sort of thing. Uh, you know, the Saudis have chosen their own course and it's, and it's a responsible course. Um, you know, they would say, all right, we're being, you know, we're trying to help out Ukraine. We're very much with world opinion in the UN General Assembly in terms of the illegality of the invasion. Um, Oh, but all by the way, we stand ready to to mediate if if that is needed, because we have a relationship with Russia. Um, so, you know, it's you know a lot of people disappointed in the U.S. Policymakers think it's inadequate, but it's their path to choose, and it's not an irresponsible one. Yeah, it just goes back to the quote we talked about. I mean, 
uh, from Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. He said, we're, we're going to look out for our own interests here. Our own interests are the stability of global oil markets. Where is Brent oil today, Richard, on March 1st? 80 bucks. You know, so it's it's not like it's way up and they're just I don't know. So this is super complex. But um, yeah, this is it, this is just another thing is another up, little uptick. So, um, yeah, interesting. OK, Richard, yellow number two vision 2030 projects trigger a real estate boom in Saudi Arabia. True. <laughs> With multi-billion dollar projects right. related to the Vision 2030 strategy, Saudi Arabia's real estate sector is expected to witness a record boom. Real estate experts told Arab News, 966 alum Faisal Durrani, partner head of Middle East research of Knight Frank, said that, quote, in Riyadh, average apartment values are up 30% in the last 12 months, and this is even higher at around 40% for some of the most desirable suburbs in North Riyadh. Villa prices in the capital have also risen by 20%. According to Knight Frank, over 550,000 residential units, more than 275,000 hotel keys, over 4.3 million square meters of real uh, retail space and over 6.1 million square meters of new office space are expected by 2030. I have almost nothing to add to this. I mean, Riyadh's booming. Mm -hmm. Um, I, you know, and it's, it's, uh, I think we, we mentioned in the last episode, 98% and, and, uh, business space. I mean, it's just, it's, and that's, you know, that's one reason why something like Maraba probably makes sense because, um, you know, that sort of initiative, they need a lot of housing. They need a lot of retail, uh, you know, business space and commercial space and retail space. Um, uh, and then, you know, they just have to have to try and keep up with, I mean, it, you know, this kind of pressure on a market makes it tough for a lot of people because it's expensive. And, you know, there's a, uh, we have good friends in the, in the, in the region who talk, you know, you reference how the middle class get, can get squeezed sometimes. And when, mm -hmm. when these things go on, so hopefully it'll all be managed, but absolutely Riyadh is just booming. Yeah. I was looking at apartments in CAFT just like to see what's available. And it's like, you know, 150 grand a year for an apartment, uh, us dollars. Um, maybe even more than that for like Ouch. just an apartment in KFD, KAFD. So, um, yeah, I mean, that, so uh, there's, there's a huge demand right now. And yeah, I mean, Richard, you mentioned it. We talked about it, uh, two weeks ago, the new Maka'ab and the new Maraba district. I mean, that's going to change life for people that are lucky enough to live in it, but also for people that live outside of it and get to use it, um, whatever shape it ends up taking, uh, or being, but yeah, I mean, Riyadh is expanding in every direction. Um, and it's almost like whatever supply is created just cannot keep pace. So um, we hope to get Faisal back on the show. I know they're launching a report um, early this month. Um, so yeah, there's just so much to talk about in that space. And it, it's, uh, it really affects everybody um, that's living there or investing there. Cause it's, as you know, Richard, housing and real estate is tied into every sector. Um, it especially is. In yeah. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. No. And that's one of the reasons Faisal is so, such a great guest is because they, they're so deep into every sector. I mean, they're looking at in the industry, they're, they're, they're you know, looking at commercial and, and, and residential real estate. They look at trends across the board and it's really uh, illuminating to hear him talk about what's going on. So, yes, he's due. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, 
Yellow number three. Uh, first Israeli commercial flight uses Saudi Omani corridor. Oman has become the latest Middle Eastern state to allow overflights of Israeli registered aircraft. It joins Saudi Arabia and creates room for a significant air corridor to and from Asia since Israeli carriers can still cannot overfly Iranian airspace, um, previously requiring them to route much further south. On February 26th, LL Flight 871 from Tel Aviv to Bangkok became the first Israeli aircraft to transit Oman's airspace. The journey, which previously took over 10 hours, lasted just under eight hours. Interesting, Richard. This is against the backdrop of mounting tit-for-tat violence between Israel and Palestine right now. Messy political situation for Bibi Netanyahu. Um which is just sad, uh, everything that's going on in, in um, Israel and Palestine. But well, it, it, yeah, uh, so I don't have much yeah. to add to this. I just sort of know that, yeah, there's this like little step forward um, here. And that's interesting, but, it, it, you know. It, it is interesting, the details on this. I mean, and this, the overflight announcement was made uh, following during President Biden's visit this summer, and it was considered a, you know, a win. Of course, that one caveat that Oman still hadn't done it. Uh, you know, sort of didn't allow these things. I think, you know, from the Israeli perspective and everything we see from, you know, on the Israeli side, which is just would love to have normalization relationship with Saudi Arabia. This is a big deal. Um, you know, um, and we talked with uh, Dr. Abdulaziz Al-Gashayan, who was, you know, terrific Saudi scholar on this topic, you know, normalization of ties. And he talked about the nuance and the, and the context and that it's not always what it seems. You know, this is this is great. This is good comedy, and and this is you know a, a open airspace. That's nice. It do, I don't think it moves the needle much, yet, especially in light of what's going on with the the, the new Israeli government and their policies towards uh, occupied territories. So, and again, going back to what you know, uh, Dr. Abdulaziz, you know, had mentioned, so much of the Saudi interest is not really political. It's commercial, technical, that sort of thing, mm-hmm. in terms of its relationships with Israel. Yep. Richard Yella, number four, the Hajj ministry says pilgrims can perform any number of Umrah. The ministry of Hajj and Umrah confirmed that pilgrims are not limited to a specific number of times to perform Umrah. The ministry stated that those who arrived in the kingdom on a visit, tourist or work visa can perform Umrah. The pilgrim can also change the means of transportation that he had used for his arrival during his departure from the kingdom. The ministry pointed out that the holder of the Umrah visa can travel between Mecca and Medina, as well as among all the cities of the kingdoms, uh, cities of the kingdom, excuse me, during the permitted period of stay. The Umrah pilgrims can enter and leave Saudi Arabia from any international or regional airport in the kingdom. You know, I, we, we included this, I think, just because to me, it's a reflection of uh, Saudi Arabia's efforts to try and uh, simplify the whole Umrah pilgrim experience, Hajj, Umrah, you know, and pilgrims that come to the kingdom. You know, just a year ago, you were limited to three Umrahs over the course of the year. So they've, they've, they've moved on from that. Obviously, and we've talked about it on the 966, they have a new portal for registering and, and making plans for an Umrah or a Hajj visit. And, and it's been significantly digitalized, digitized rather, and it appears to be, you know, after some hiccups at the beginning, uh, prior to last year's uh, Hajj, you know, it, it appears to be a much more 
sophisticated and perhaps align the more egalitarian and equal access and easier access to, to doing your pilgrimage. The one, the, you know, but so what essentially this is, there was also an interesting article sort of that came out that, that the ministry of Hajj and Umrah, which is run by our, our friend, uh, Dr. Tafik al-Rabia, who we know is extremely capable, former minister of commerce and, and health, former minister of health. I mean, he's, he's, he's run some really important ministries over there has instituted um, programs to train leaders of foreign Hajj pilgrim groups. So they'll do this in a lot of countries. They're starting in Malaysia, uh, you know, obviously where there's significant uh, numbers of pilgrims that come, but they'll be doing this. So, you know, they're, they're paying a lot of attention between the new portals, between, you know, loosening your the numbers of stays, loosening your ability to travel, uh, training people on site in, in countries that are sending pilgrims. Just trying to make the the whole experience easier, safer, more enjoyable, and promote you staying in Saudi Arabia for a little longer and spending some money. Mm-hmm. All makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> I don't have much to add to that, but yeah, no, <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> no, <laughs> um, I think this one to you, Richard. Who oh, is it? Sorry, sorry. Uh, five, Andy Warhol exhibition opens in the Saudi desert. Early, uh, early this month, Saudi Arabia's first exhibition on Andy Warhol opened at the Mariah, a mirrored, mirrored building in the desert. I like that. The Saudi Arabia's first exhibition on Andy Warhol, as if there had been previous ones. Mm-hmm. Um, titled, quote, Fame, Andy Warhol in Al-Ula, unquote. The show is part of a second annual Al-Ula Arts Festival, a government-funded initiative to help bolster the country's reputation as an arts destination. The show zeroes in on Warhol's fascination with celebrity through some 70 carefully selected pieces of the Lake Pop art icon's work. One section includes portraits of celebrities like Elizabeth Taylor, Marlon Brando, Muhammad Ali, Bob Dylan, and Salvador Dali. Another houses Warhol's silver clouds, a room of large metallic balloons. I mean, this is pretty rad here. Um, (laughs) We've got... um, I mean, Richard, this is so, uh, you know, and, I, and I, as soon as I saw this too, I sent this to our, our colleague and, and friend Omar Bachlewa because I was just like, can you imagine this? This is actually amazing that this exists. Um, there's This is getting a little bit of negative feedback um, because Andy Warhol was gay. And so there's some that have, are criticizing this and saying, you know, hey, like, you know, homosexuality is not allowed in Saudi Arabia. So, what, you know, what's up with this? And um, the display was curated by mu- the museum's director, Patrick Moore, um, and he's the show's curator. He told Artnet, uh, he tells Artnet's Rebecca Ann Proctor that he wanted to focus on Warhol's work rather than his personal life. Quote, Andy was a lot of things. He was an artist. He was a businessman. He was an entrepreneur. He was a media mogul, and he was also a gay man. But that's not all he was. So not every exhibition sh- should or needs to focus on that aspect of Warhol's life because Warhol was an artist, not a gay artist. So... Mm. Um, just interesting. I mean, that, you know, I, this would be so cool to see. Um, and just like the, the sort of juxtaposition of, of the, this, his pop art in Alola with the most like sort of, yeah. um, non pop art places in the world, maybe. Um, but yeah, this is, a, uh, I mean, this is just an amazing story and, and would be so cool to see. Um, so yeah. And I guess it's on loan from a, a museum in Pittsburgh, it looks like. So yeah. Yeah. Juxtaposition is a good word. I mean, this is an Alula. This is a sixth century, you know, BC oasis in the desert valley on on the, you know, on the incense road. Mm-hmm. You know, 
and it's and it's obviously being developed as an archaeological tourist site and it's uh you know but it's just fascinating uh, uh you know the juxtaposition you know you can go and see this this amazing you know route i was just talking this morning with someone who'd been at petra and you know that nabataean civilization that that created petras you know same ones that were at alula um so it's 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 you know just contradictions quote unquote if you want to see them that way but certainly juxtaposition is is maybe less confrontational but um are really fascinating and you know at the, you know the same week you know this was this is Andy Warhol announced the same week they did an announcement of finding an inscription out in, in the in the area uh you know third century BC uh, you know about you know again from another uh civilization that had been in the region i mean they're just it's just mind-boggling all the things that are going on both modern and ancient and uh discoveries and the uh, new things it's it's uh, saudi arabia's uh you know I, I think for us has always been interesting it's particularly fascinating mm-hmm. nowadays they need a few more affordable hotels in outla richard because uh, the true. danyan tree and uh Habitas uh, price some people out, but they're getting there. They just want to make sure they're done in a sustainable way. One that doesn't, you know, put a bunch of holiday ends like right on Elephant Rock. You know, I mean, they they're trying to do it right, so I can well, appreciate that. And you know, they're having they're, they're having their own Airbnb. Mm-hmm. I'm if I can get there on this trip, I'll be staying in somebody's house. I don't know. I mean, I found have, have you asked them if it's okay? Or <laughs> that's a good point. Say, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> no, they seem to be very. They seem to be very. Uh, they are very hospitable, but it it's not something I'd ever heard about. But it's sort of a, a, a you know, a, an establishment there that has you know put a shingle out, and mm-hmm. said, "We'll you know we we'll, we have a place for for weary travelers." Um, so if I can get there, that's where I'll stay because, like you say, uh, you know, it's either very expensive or not not available. It's not Don't- a lot of options right now. Yep. Don't forget that the uh, Saudi government or the PIF is going to launch their own Airbnb, like a local Airbnb competitor to sort of, you know, take some of that market away. So hopefully that makes a difference as well. Um, Richard, yellow number six, and it delights me to be talking about golf because we get to keep the streak going. Uh, Live Golf's first uh, season opener, I guess. The season opener for the second season was last week at two weekends ago. An average of 286,000 uh, and 291,000 viewers tuned in Saturday and Sunday, respectively, to watch the first Live Golf event of the season, which was held at the Mayacoba Resort in Mexico, where I stayed last September for a That's right. very fun wedding, really sweet golf course. Um, Phil Mickelson and former number one Dustin Johnson led an all-star cast at Live's season oper- opener there in Mayacoba, but ratings were far below that of the PGA Tour. The PGA Tour's Honda Classic brought in 1.61 million viewers Saturday and 2.38 on Sunday, by comparison on NBC. I uh, how did you play the course? I did not play the course. I but I, would, I remember just, you coming back saying it was beautiful. It is so beautiful. I just didn't get a chance to, and, and now I obviously regret it. When I was watching this on TV, I was like, "This they have they have that famous bunker that is." Uh, you know, it's like the, I forgot what they call it. It's not Tooth of the Dog, which is a different course, but it's basically a cave. If your ball goes in it and it goes far in it, you're just totally <laughs> screwed. So look that up. Um, it's amazing. But um, 
Yeah, <laughs> Richard, I, the one thing I wanted to add, this, the reason why I added this is not to just keep the golf thread alive, but um, I think they've made a lot of progress on the broadcast and the watchability. I mean, it's not quite where the PGA Tour is yet, um, but it was really interesting to watch. My parents were here this weekend and I had it on TV and my dad does not watch golf or care about golf at all. He kind of liked it. He kind of thought it was sort of, you know, more fun and there was a lot going on. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that there's a lot of commentary on Twitter and, and elsewhere about, oh, they didn't get, you know, nobody's watching live golf. This is the first time it's ever been televised and it's on the CW. So there isn't any legacy there at all. So, and the, the, the app was a little janky for me, but I don't know. I mean, I, I you know, if, if one year ago today, Richard, or maybe even a little bit less than that, where were we? They were, they had no names signed. They it seemed like it was just going to be kind of like a corn fairy tour. You know, now they have more top names in this tour than, than PGA. I mean, I think, you know, just, I think it needs some time. Yeah. Uh, you're right. I mean, you take it step by step. They're on a network, you know, Charles Hell won it. This was the first of the, they have a 14, you know, they, they have 14 uh, tournaments scheduled. And actually it's kind of interesting, you know, that sites are really interesting. I mean, if I were playing them, I mean, they're going to, they start in Mexico, they go to Tucson, then Orlando. All right. But then they go to Australia, Singapore, back to Oklahoma here in our neighborhood, Virginia, then back to Spain, uh, the UK, back here to West Virginia, then to New Jersey, then Illinois, Florida, and they end up at the Royal Greens and Country Club in Jeddah in November. So, I mean, 14 tournaments. You know, I think their problem is going to be that the PGA is just really aggressively responding. And they're, they're putting, you know, they're basically taking, you know, all the, the, the live ideas and trying to, short of a three-day tournament and being able to play in shorts, PGA is sort of trying to do everything that the live was doing, you know, <clears throat> with um, with getting more per larger purses and to fewer people. And, you know, next year Rory and Tiger are going to do their own little uh, golf league, um, which is going to be interesting. You know, I don't know if you've read about the format of that, but that's going to mm -hmm. be like you know Monday night golf in a simulated thing with you know teams and that sort of thing. Again, teams, which is another characteristic of a live the live format. Uh, I watched it too, and I thought it was fun. And, uh, you know, it, it's just going to be, can they endure? Cause it is a loss leader, you know, can they hold out until they gain some traction and the, they build an audience and, and maybe get some sponsors and it becomes a going concern. You just don't know. The PGA certainly has been aggressive in its response. Yeah. It's a good point. I mean, what's the runway for live, right? I mean, if they had to, break even by today they couldn't do it but i mean what the the recipe is there all of these big names it's not just older guys either it's cam smith and some of these younger guys um that you know then then you start getting younger players in as these older guys fade out you have less guaranteed money and more in the purse and then you get a lot more attention to what's happening with live golf when these guys get to play in the masters and you know not the pga but the british open and some of these other majors um so I just think that it's it's kind of on the right trajectory as long as the expenses don't keep going crazy. They don't write $200 million checks to the next golfer that wins the next tournament. And they kind of get it to be a little bit more of a sustainable competitor to the PGA. Richard, I hope you are watching Full Swing on Netflix, which is incredible television. So um, if you have not, that is a good one for your flights coming up. 
try to get well, it downloaded if you can. It's rad. That's good. That's good. I haven't started. I was thinking I'd do it after I came back. But then again, that's an example of how the PGA is responding. That's good for the PGA. Mm-hmm. But know? they do talk about a lot, uh, live on that. They, a little critical of Saudi Arabia. It's okay. But they do follow Dustin Johnson and some of these other guys. So, oh, good. Um, good. but yeah, I mean, you know, it just, it's, it's, um, as I, I told, uh, Sophie, my wife, I was like, yeah, this is like, I, you can't tailor better television for me personally, a reality <laughs> unscripted <laughs> golf situation is pretty much what I'm looking for. So I will look at that. I forget. What's the platform? Is that Netflix? Netflix. Netflix uh, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's done by the guys that do uh formula one drive to. Survive, oh, I, think. Right. I bet yeah. that's really good. Oh, all right. I'll make awesome. sure to, I'll make sure to get that. I, uh, um, but you know, on the, on, again, on the golf thing and, and, and I, I have to admit, um, I guess I'm getting a little jaded. I like Roy McElroy. I think he's a nice guy. I think he's, he's a sincere guy. You know, anybody who chokes up after winning a, a tournament and, and, you know, he, he works hard and he's had a great year, but I don't really want to hear from him or other people again. I mean, he made $28 million last year. Yeah, I agree. Everything that PGA is doing, benefits a guy like him, you know, a top of the league player, you know, the player impact award, which gave out, uh, you know, a hundred million dollars last year to between 15 guys, you know, gave tiger 15 million. Well, how many tournaments did he play last year? Like five. All right. So I understand obviously tiger's an icon and he has impacted the game like no other. Um, all right. So that's a huge, Rory got 12, you know, Jordan Spieth, 9 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, but here's an interesting thing. You know your golfers. Um, so they gave out $100 million to 15, 15, 13 golfers because some were tired. You know, this player impact award is an algorithm and various metrics about, you know, how you impacted it. And, but you know who came in at number eight? Uh, I don't know if you know him. Number hmm. eight. So you'll get it. You'll, you'll, all right, number one, Tiger. Number two, Rory. Number three, Jordan Spieth. Justin Thomas, four. John Rahm, who's tearing it up this year. Scotty Scheffler tore it up last year, five and a half million. Xander Shoffley, number eight at five million. Matt Colin, Fitzpa- I was going to say Morikawa, or he's in there, but Matt Fitzpatrick at number eight. Have oh. you ever heard? Do you know Matt Fitzpatrick? Yeah, he won the. Didn't he win the PGA Championship last year? But that was his only win, right? I never heard of him. Yeah, he he won the PGA Championship, I believe. And I'm sorry if I get this wrong. We're gonna have to get the cat fact checker in the mix. But um, <laughs> but his last tournament that he won was a ju- as a junior at the same course in Boston. All right. It's the go. same guy. So, but, but yeah, I mean, you know, outside of that, has he won much? Yeah. No, Morikawa, you know. number 11, he got $3 okay. million. Yeah. I mean, like, I think you make a good point about Rory. Uh, he annoys me because of the same things you said, you know, he loves the PGA tour because he's the one getting all the sponsorships. He's the one that has had early success in his career. So he can, yeah. you know, I don't know if he does take a PJ around, but if you watch the, um, the, uh, uh, full swing documentaries series. I think there's six of them. All these guys in the PGA are the top guys are flying to and from tournaments in private jets. And it's like, yeah. that's the point. The point is that because there's no guaranteed money, the guys that are scraping at the bottom sometimes pay to fly economy to go to Phoenix and they don't get paid a cent to do it. They play all weekend and they have a family to support. I think the guaranteed money thing is very interesting. Um, but yeah, Rory kind of annoys me to be honest. Great golfer. Um, but yeah, I mean, of course he would say the things he says and he talks about integrity and, you know, legacy and stuff like that. Integrity and legacy do not pay the bills and put food on the table for some of these golfers that are trying to become professional. So 
That's uh, one way of looking at it for sure. And, and, you know, part of the point of live is, you know, the top five at the Honda classic was C Kirk, E Cole, T Duncan, R Gerard and J Sue. Mm -hmm. You heard of any of them? I have not. Now I have the, not. So uh, the yeah. Kirk, the Kirk story is interesting. You know, he, 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 he hadn't won for seven years, but you know, anyway, there's, there's, it's just, this is interesting. This is an interesting drama. And we'll see if Liv, you know, CW is great to get televised. We'll see if Liv can can roll on through. As I before, I think as creative as it is, that three-day format is just going to be a, a, a real obstacle because it, you know, if it were a four-day format, you might actually be talking about these players getting points. Mm -hmm. You know, because all their, you know, their rankings, global rankings are plummeting because they're not getting points. And I just think that's a, that ends up being a, uh, an obstacle. So it'll be interesting. I may be wrong. I may be flat wrong, mm -hmm. but it'll be interesting how some of these things, hurdles and obstacles and sticking points are resolved if they are resolved. Mm -hmm. I mean, this, the live tour was discounted as soon as it was announced, it's still being discounted, but I think it's sort of defied a lot of what people thought it would be. Part of the reason is because it's a public investment fund and Saudi Arabia has a lot of money and they willing to be like you said it's a great term loss leader on this why not so anyway um just really cool check out that documentary if you can check out uh, i don't know when their next event is but um yeah it, it, it sounds awesome so it's coming up this week looks like we have a uh, uh guest coming in richard at some point so we should uh, jump <laughs> off here wrap up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but richard good one thank you very much we'll be back soon i think next week yes we're that's working right. on we've got a lot going on with travel and everything but uh safe travels to you sir and we'll uh we'll be and back to you. here shortly and thank you, you very much yeah see you soon thanks take care <laughs>